0: Welcome to Let's Chat Dental with Anne Budenberg. In this series, we're going to be talking about dental careers and squiggly careers in the UK. But of course, don't forget to like, rate and review this episode. So I'm joined today by Janine Brooks, MBE. And in this episode, we're going to chat about mentoring. So we're going to chat around what it is, why it's relevant to dentistry Um, And not just dentistry, of course, it's very transferable to um, life in general. So I'm not going to say too much because I want to hear Janine's views on this. But Janine is co-founder of Dental Mentors UK, which is a group she formed with Jane Davis Slovak, And this provides a community for all dental professionals who are actually supporting other professionals And there's an online directory for dentists and dental care professionals. So you can find a mentor on there, hopefully, that will suit your needs. So just following on from that, I would just like to sort of um, read out their Dental Mentors UK mission statement. And this states that we believe that all dental professionals would benefit from regularly working with a mentor from a personal as well as a professional point of view. Mentors are experienced dental professionals who can guide and support you throughout your career. So I'm going to leave it at that point to say, so I think it all goes without saying that Janine certainly believes in mentoring. And I will pass over to you now and um, just let you introduce yourself and a bit about your, your
1: own career background. Thanks, Anne. And and thanks for doing this session and inviting me along. Uh, Really nice. My career, uh, I'm not sure how much it mirrors other people's career in dentistry. I left school when I was 16, so I don't have A-levels. I went to work in uh, medical laboratory technology at first in laboratories um, with hematology and early cytogenetics. And I did my um, Ordinary National Certificate and Higher National Certificate in night school and day release. I, um, I sort of went a little bit off the tracks by getting married fairly young and then um, getting divorced fairly young. So I found myself then at, at a crossroads in my early 20s as to what was I going to do. And I decided that I'd quite like to go to university. I'd quite like to study a career where I was responsible for my own actions. And for me, that was healthcare, as I'd already been in medical laboratory technology. And after thinking about the various parts of healthcare, I decided on dentistry. So I went along to Birmingham Dental School and had a chat with the administ- admi- admissions tutor who told me that, um, yeah, I could apply with HNC. I didn't have to go away and do anything else. They at that time were quite open to mature students. Um, In our year of about 80, there were 10 mature students who had already done various other jobs before coming into dentistry. So it was quite forward thinking. That was the late 70s. So I qualified in dentistry in the early 80s and I went to work in community dental service. At that time I really didn't like the idea of having to ask patients for money so general practice for me was a little bit um, sort of alien so community at that time seemed to be the best option. I went in at a time when we had one of the reviews which was the Griffiths Review and within 10 years at two years Uh, My boss had started managing uh, a unit in the hospital and he promoted me to manage the dental service, which um, one of my I don't know whether it's being naive or, or one of my premises in life is when you're offered an opportunity, you say, oh, yes, and you give it a go, even if you're not absolutely certain what you are giving a go to. But I enjoyed managing the service. I stayed uh, clinical as well, treating special care adults and slowly my management responsibilities increased. I started managing other services um, and I sort of moved through the ranks in dentistry to clinical director of the service. A few years later, I was offered the opportunity of managing a different service. So I ended up managing two services in two different parts of the country. I then did more general management, managing hospitals um, and virtually all community services, speech and language therapy, clinical psychology, podiatry, you name it. And I really enjoyed those aspects. I uh, Then again, one of these opportunities, did I want to take on data protection? Oh, yes, I'll do that. What does that mean? Then moved to Caldecott guardianship. And eventually that's when I took my first move outside dentistry, and started part-time as a national Caldecott guardian for the NHS Information Authority. That progressed a little further, and I then also took on a part-time job for the National Clinical Assessment Service when it blossomed into dentistry. And at that point, back in 2003, I stepped completely out of clinical dentistry. Uh, Thought long and hard about it, It's a door that once you move through, you've got a relatively short time to move back. But I've never looked back. I've never regretted it. I loved working half and half with those two national organizations. Eventually, I moved full time into NCAS and was their associate dental director. I loved that work, really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, in 2011, there was an arm's length body review and the government decided to cut a number of arm's length bodies and I was made redundant, which was an interesting experience. And at that point, because of my age, I took, uh, because obviously I'm quite aged, I took um, early retirement with an unreduced pension and decided to set up my own training and coaching and mentoring business, which I did and was amazed that that was quite successful. Later on, I set up another company for dental coaching. And then finally, um, Jane Davis Slobick and I co-founded Dental Mentors UK. And I think mentoring, coaching, training, education has been a real um, love of mine since. Um, Along the way, I've collected a few qualifications, I feel if you're going to do something, get qualified in it. So I've got a couple of masters and um, my doctorate is in medical ethics. Um, I've done my training in coaching and mentoring, uh, along with things like Myers-Briggs and NLP a few other things so that I get the feeling that I know what I'm talking about, which um, for me is quite important rather than just trying to trying to wing it. So I guess that's where I am now um, with a portfolio of lots of different things, all of which I really enjoy. I am at that stage in life where I do what I want to do and I don't do what I don't want to do so I finally got to the point where I can balance my life in a way that suits me so long story short there you go a bit of an oddball there I think from a career point of view but um, love it.
0: <laughs> Thank you no that's a very whistle stop tour of what you've done um, I think there's a lot more in there and I think it's it's really quite interesting because you know now there's there's when you speak to young dentists some of them have got second degrees and and dentistry is their second degree or occasionally it's their third Mm. so you were quite one of the sort of pioneers where you'd done something else and you didn't come in in the traditional route it's good to see people because they bring with you know lots of other experiences, life experiences. So um, you know, that's really interesting. So as we we is the portfolio career, I think, which is officially called now, isn't it? That's the official term.
1: I guess so. Yes, I, I just called it collecting tickets, but yes, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> <laughs> portfolio <will> do. <laughs> yeah. I know we used to just say
0: Oh, you know, you've got lots of jobs or you've got broad experience, Mm. but now it seems to have a name. Um, Mm. (laughs) um, So what what was it particularly about mentoring that sort of drew you you to that?
1: Well, I think it's been an interesting path. Mentoring as such in the UK is is relatively new um, and was sort of brought over from America by um, a guy called Clutterbuck probably I think back in the 70s so not as not as old as people might think but I think that's the name whereas the function of of the mentor and what mentors do I think has been around for a very 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 long time Um, through my career I experienced um, support from many many different people um, many people helped me to develop my career many people took me under their wing um, and and helped me sort of guided me and signposted me to things that would be helpful in my career and i recognized that later under the name of mentoring and they were, uh, were they were fabulous and of course the beauty when you've when you've received that sort of help and support, is you very often um, go on to to pass the baton on. Um, And I think it probably, as I say, started to get a real name in my mind as mentoring when I was working at NCAS, uh, which at the time um, when I was there was very much involved in supporting registrants um, who had, for one reason or another, struggled and definitely, how we would then um, receive those, and we would mentor, uh, help, signpost, help do action plans. So I think that was when it started to formulate in my mind that this was a something, a thing, um, mentoring that you you could learn and you could that you could get skills in, and you could help others, and of course. The real satisfaction in mentoring is that you can make a difference. And I think in dentistry, most people go into dentistry and into healthcare to make a difference. So, mentoring sort of comes up quite naturally to that wish to want to make a difference. With here, with mentoring, the difference is to our colleagues um, and working with those who are like us, which I guess makes the support and the help even sweeter um, because you're really helping colleagues who struggle so I guess that's that's what drew me into that when I was made redundant one of the parts of the package I negotiated was for additional training Uh, back to my wish to have an idea of what I'm doing Um, and I undertook training in coaching um, so that I'd got skills that I could then use in mentoring. So true lifelong learning. <laughs> mm. I think you're definitely in a lifelong
0: learning phase. <laughs> um, <laughs> um okay, so you know, this term that's banded around quite liberally sometimes, mm. um, this thing called mentoring or mentoring and coaching. Um, used in many contexts of course and as you've said you know often you get that sort of informal mentoring from people along the way but sometimes when you ask people to define it it's sometimes um, difficult and you get you know an array of answers
1: what does it mean to you the mentoring Mm -hmm. how would you define it? I think you're right very right and that um, we the term has been accepted within dentistry. The definition I think is still very uh, up for grabs and quite vaguely used at times. Um, It's almost as if were, we're all mentors. And actually, I I don't believe that. I think there are specific skills that it's important that you learn, and there's a specific process as to how you put those skills into place to really help somebody. So it's a it is used very very loosely, which at times I find almost undermines what the process and how good mentoring can be. But for me, there's a difference between mentoring coaching counseling and teaching and they are often sort of lumped together or somebody calls themselves a mentor when actually what they're really doing is teaching I mean teaching with skill absolutely but it's different so for me how I define it it's about support and guidance to help others find their own solutions so you're signposting them to things that they can find helpful and useful you're buddying with them from the point of view of the the support and the encouragement that you're giving them Um, you're you're asking questions of them to help Deepen their understanding, but the questions you ask are with knowledge. So as a mentor, you know mostly the answers that people are going to be giving you. So you're asking with knowledge as opposed to teaching, which is telling with knowledge so there's a there's a fundamental difference I think between mentoring and teaching, and the fundamental difference for me between mentoring and coaching is that you mentor in your own specialty, in your own professional area because you have the knowledge. When you coach, you coach outside your professional area, so you don't have the knowledge. You ask, but you don't know the answers, so you're definitely pulling those answers out from the other person. And I mentioned coaching there because there are times in certain aspects of the work that I do, that I meld those two together, and we call it coach mentoring, Um, for want of a better word. I don't know if that's a a term that actually exists or just made it up, but for me, I'm bringing the two skills together, and I'm using them in the benefit of the individual I'm working with, which of course is is the other real fundamental with with mentoring. It's for the benefit of somebody else, um, as opposed to our own benefit.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a good term, mentoring, because as you say, it's difficult to completely separate the two. And of course, we could be here a while talking about all the different types of mentoring, (laughs) Um, but um, peer mentoring, you know, younger with older people and um, um, all that kind of thing. But Mm. I mean, overall, you know, where do you think we are in dentistry with it? What do you think?
1: Well, I'm very, enc- I'm very encouraged that we have the term <laughs> and I'm very yeah. encouraged that lots of people use the term, which is a great is a great start. And I'm exceptionally encouraged that the GDC um, now have a better understanding and utilise the term in a, in a better way. I think we use it in so many aspects of dentistry. Um, foundation training is a particular aspect where educational supervisors, act as both trainers, educators, and mentors. Sometimes the difficulty for them can be separating it out, but it is definitely um, used there. You mentioned different types of mentoring. And of course, a beautiful type there is um, reverse mentoring. Um, So what you find is that the educational supervisor is mentoring the trainee in various aspects of, of dentistry and practicing. But very often the trainee if the mentoring relationship really works well, is passing back mentoring to their educational supervisor in areas that, of course, they have um, more expertise and experience in. Areas, for example, in in brand spanking new techniques, uh, areas in digital dentistry, where very often the trainee has more experience, as I said, than than the educational supervisor. So that's a really interesting relationship. Where I find uh, I tend to use mentoring most is in regulatory work. So the vast majority of uh, people that I work with and coach and mentor is about regulation, fitness to practice. And that is an an interesting aspect, which has, I think, a lot of signposting. So the the support and the guidance is there, but the signposting can be a really important part of that. Um, And then um, career. Career guidance, I think, is is a fundamental aspect in mentoring that is so, so useful. And I see that being used I think I'd like to see that being used more um, and, and it's a really interesting set of podcasts that you're sort of putting together here um, and because I was only talking the other day and somebody said well there's very little career guidance in dentistry and dentists have no idea what they're good at which is just a really interesting thought and I can remember in NCAS having to Guide some dentists that sadly had to leave the profession on health grounds, and they weren't able to continue practicing. But helping them to develop all the transferable skills that they have was really quite light bulb moment for a lot of people when they realised that they actually do a heck of a lot more than just. Uh, mending broken teeth and assisting in periodontal disease all the other skills they have that they could transfer should they need to into a different career
0: yeah absolutely because as you say most pe- majority of people are in general practice but what happens if you don't want to do that anymore as david Clutterbuck said you know we all need a mentor at some point to say right which direction to go in so um I suppose just moving on from that, you know, have you got any particular examples of mentoring, you know, success
1: stories that you could share? Mm. Well, I, I mean, a, a number of regulatory um, stories, most definitely. Um, where I, I mean, one di- one story that pleased me immensely was for a dental nurse um, who had, unfortunately, a fitness to practice case who had not engaged. And interestingly, it was a member of staff from the GDC that contacted me and asked me if I would work with this dental nurse. They were particularly worried that if they continued to not engage, they would sadly have a very adverse outcome. Um, I, I did um, speak with them. They did engage. They were utterly terrified. But after we'd been able to unpick all the aspects. Um, we found and the dental nurse found that actually they could reassure the, the GDC panel. There was work that they could do and successfully. And we were able to conclude that case uh, without sanctions at all, which was incredibly um, gratifying, as you could imagine, for, for both myself and the and the dental nurse. And there are other fitness to practice um, examples but also I think I've got examples of career guiding where we've had Um, dentists who for whatever reason have had to move out of their career one was as I said um, a physical health issue uh, uh, with their hands so they weren't able to continue and after a little while we spent time going through all of their skills and they were able then to move into a job that didn't require um, hand skills at all Uh, and they were very successful in that career extremely successful I, I think what people forget is that dentists are generally pretty bright people. Um, not only have they got lots of skills, but they're very quick learners on the whole. And so they were—they were very pleased. They were now in um, a different career but one that they absolutely loved in fact I did wonder when I was talking to them if maybe they could, they maybe should have chosen that particular career way back when but we perhaps not get into why it is that some people choose their careers at a particular time in life
0: well yes I know that's oh that's a whole other subject mm. isn't it whether it's <laughs> you know family pressure or mm. your mm. good day level results or mm. whatever it is mm. Yeah, no, I think that's um, yeah, absolutely. Because it is such a physical profession, mm, you do is. have to be physically, mm. mentally quite well to do it for however many years you're going to do it. Very true, Anne. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm. So you mentioned you mentioned the GDC, and mm-hmm. um, obviously their their um, study that they did on professionalism talks mm. talks about mentoring you know, um, as an approach to teaching the topic of professionalism? Mm, mm.
1: Yes, I think it's a very interesting approach. Um, You probably need a bit of both. I mean, there are the basics um, that we need to teach people. So we need to tell them um, about the aspects of professionalism. It's it's a very movable feast, professionalism, incredibly dynamic, in the way that it's moved and how society views professions and professionalism and of course everybody who comes into dentistry who's sort of been born in the UK or or, or anywhere else is part of society and what that society views as being the right sort of thing for professionals to do so as I said it's very movable it's quite different to when Uh, Perhaps you and I would have gone into dental school and very different from when our teachers went into dental school. But what we're finding today with all the pressures that come on dental professionals, and many of them come from the social media arena, that professionalism has really drifted into odd um, interpretations. So I think we do still need to do the teaching of the topic and what it means. But once people understand the the topic, then I think mentoring can really, really help in its application. I think people, yes, you can teach somebody about confidentiality, you can teach them how they should be communicating with patients, you can teach them about what patients expect. But I think it really does need to be put into a practical application as and when it happens and then letting people talk through, well, this is what I did. And let's generate a few ideas about Well, what else could you have done? How else could you have done that? Um, and it's a topic, unfortunately, that comes up such a lot in regulation work. Because very often you've got the whole issue of professionalism that underpins sort of referral cases for fitness to practice. So I I would say a two pronged approach here. Definitely. Let's look at professionalism, the ethics that goes with that. And then let's look at the application and having a, a mentor there that can help people to discuss instances and think about what they might have done differently yeah absolutely it's interesting
0: you say how much it's changed you know when mm. we qualified you weren't allowed to advertise or mm. there was mm. very very strict on mm. the size of the letters that you could have yes. on your plate and there's a recent series on um in the bdj on ethics of social media and we're now mm. complete other end of the spectrum mm. Um, mm. <laughs> so i suppose um you know leads on to what what do you think some of the main sort of challenges are at the moment well there's many but facing dentists or dentistry
1: yes there there are a lot of challenges Um, I guess we've we've always had challenges I think I think we always need to remember that that when we first went out there were lots of challenges Um, as I say when I first left dental school there was the whole Griffiths review thing Uh, there was not then vocational training before foundation training so you were in the first day you were it that was terrifying Um, so I think we have to bear in mind that we've always had challenges of one sort or another so it's not so much about the challenge for me it's about preparing people for how they deal with challenge and how they deal with change and therefore, that keeps them able to be able to keep themselves healthy, which I think is a, a really big issue um, for dentists. It's always been a, an issue. Dentists have always been suffering with various physical and mental health issues. So keeping healthy, I think, is a really important thing. And of course, many dentists seem to have the personality preferences that quite often enjoy being isolated which is strange when you think that we choose a career that is full of patience and full of other people but if you look at the personality preferences a very high proportion of them have a preference for introspection so that's a weird one for me which I've I've often grappled with. Um, I think staying motivated and how we can keep people enthused and motivated about dentistry and their aspects of dentistry that they work in, it's quite easy to think that the grass is greener on the other side. Um, I was at a Dentist Health Support Trust meeting only a couple of days ago with some of our associates, and these associates are people who have had struggles health struggles um, alcohol or addiction or mental health Um, some of them have had to have periods working outside dentistry because they've been suspended or whatever and one of the people there said keeping it together and getting money for your family when all you can do is work in b and q you suddenly realize Dentistry is not as bad as you thought it was. And I think sometimes we have to bear in mind that we are in a privileged position. Even if things are tough, they're not as tough as they are for a lot of other people, Um, which can make it hard, of course, when you're wanting to make a career move. So I think staying motivated, keeping healthy, seeing the wood for the trees. And really, being able to pick our way through things, I think, is important. So to say, I I think the challenges are always going to be there. They'll just change. There'll be just different challenges, but they'll be there. And if we can approach those challenges in the right way, then we can generally see our way through. Yes, agreed. There's uh,
0: yes, um, it's just different challenges. Mm. So I suppose the it leads on so this business about staying healthy physically and mentally Um, so I read an article that you wrote a few years ago in the BDJ and um, it was about work-life balance and (laughs) um, you you I think someone was asking you about um, what this meant and you said that people had a bit of a fixation with the the weekend (laughs) the weekend thing and you thought we you know it could be different could be you
1: could think differently about it Mm. Mm. it's an interesting concept the weekend is 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 quite a modern concept um our our ancestors didn't have weekends um I, i think i was watching a downton abbey um once and uh, and one of the characters one of the one of the rather posh ladies um, was saying what is this weekend I don't understand what you mean um and so I guess for me we have seven days in our week and we arbitrarily give them names and we have this fixation that somehow Saturday and Sunday are different and and I just feel and I guess as I have been a sole trader it has been a lot easier but as a sole trader um, for me it's just how i chunk up my time uh, and i have the privilege of being able to control my time but i look at it from the point of view if i want to do some work on a project on sunday morning i'll do it but then if i want to go and see some friends or some family on wednesday i'll do that as well so so i don't i don't make things necessarily precious but I do plan my time and I think that's more important almost than saying well I don't do Saturdays and Sundays um you might do Saturdays and Sundays and they might be the two days that you chunk out for enjoyment and and those sort of things whereas I might chunk out Tuesdays and Thursdays um, I might work in the evening because i'm more of an evening person in in fact what i tend to do is i'll work quite early in the morning and i'll work in the evening and i have this sort of dip um, in, in the middle of the day when it's sort of oh gosh no i can't work i'm going to have to go for a walk now the problem is of course when you're working for somebody else when you have patience then it's a lot harder to do that but even then we could work in practices over those seven days if some people would prefer to work at the weekend and not work in the week. Well, why not? Let's just sort of not worry about what name the day is, but sort out what we want to do and then chunk up our time
0: yeah, I mean, quite a few practices do that sort of mm. early and late shift, don't they? Mm. They have one team that comes in at eight o'clock till two mm. and mm. another team that does two till eight, which is mm. very efficient use. And mm. yeah, it gives you that mm. time um, to do other things. Yes. So, um, yeah, something just to certainly think about how available is mentoring for everyone you know is it going to be free or are people going to have to pay for it and mm, does, who gets mm. does the people who need it get it mm.
1: um I, I I think a simple answer unfortunately to the question you've just asked Anne uh, is a no not everybody who needs it gets it and you've also picked up on a point there of uh, money and fees and paying for and I, I think we do have to get our head around the fact that there there is formal and there's informal mentoring. Um, And a lot of informal mentoring goes on, and I'm sure it's good informal mentoring. But formal mentoring, particularly if you have a specific thing that you want to do, like you want some career work, or you want some regulation work, or you want some excellence development work, which is something we haven't touched on. But of course, You know, a lot of mentoring can be about working with somebody who says, I'm good, but I want to be excellent. How can I do that? Um, So I think that's an area that we should not forget. But if you're going to have that sort of discrete interventions from somebody who's taken time out to get trained and to build their expertise, then it's not unfair to consider that there should be a fee to be paid. Um, My My work now, my sole trading work is, as I said, coaching, mentoring, training. It's not free. Um, It can't be free. I I am not a charity. I am not funded by anybody else. If you work within an organization who uh, wants you to do mentoring within the organization, then it can appear to be free to the person you're mentoring. But of course, the, the organization is underpinning it because when you're mentoring, you're not doing other activities so I think that's an interesting point so I don't think it should be free because you you're having skills I mean if it were free then I'd be able to go and get my implant work done wouldn't I because it'd be free because mm-hmm. it's colleague to colleague so I think we have to get our head round Around that, Um, I can remember being at the BDA conference a few years ago and a a young dentist, I think he'd been out about three or four years, was asking me and asking me what my um, hourly rate was. And he said to me, gosh, that's more than mine. I said, well, yeah, and yours will be after you've been in the service for 30 years. Um, (laughs) You know, there's a whole experience thing here that goes with mentoring that is is undervalued. In some respects. So, I think we have to get our head around there should be a fee for it. The fee may be paid by the individual or it may be paid by their organisation, but I think there should be a fee, which causes a barrier, which is something we have to. uh, Having said advocating fee, I also realise that is a barrier. And for some people, if they're in difficulty and they're in financial difficulty, that's tough. Uh, and that is hard so I think we just have to bear that in mind plus dentists are one thing dental nurses quite another Um, I have a sliding scale I'm I'm absolutely you know I say that because I couldn't possibly charge the same hourly rate to a dental nurse as I would to a dentist I don't see that as being fair Um, I think it should be taught uh, early I think students should be taught the skills because I think the skills that mentors have set you up for dentistry. Because if you can mentor a colleague well, you can mentor your patient well. And if you can mentor your patient, they are far more likely to be compliant. Your dentistry is likely to be much more uh, effective and you'll get better results. So when I do teach people mentoring skills, and and they'll say to me sometimes when am I going to fit this in so well just every conversation you have is a mentoring conversation whether it's with your colleague whether it's with your patient whether it's with NHS England every conversation you have will be better because you'll be using mentoring skills so it's sort of a fundamental um, in many ways I mean Maybe when you go through life, you might want somebody who's more experienced around the career aspects or more experience around regulation or more experience around foundation training. I think all of us should have the skills that can allow us to do that co-mentoring. Yeah, no, I totally
0: agree. I mean, it's interesting that you say applying it to patients and I suppose that gets into sort of health coaching which is Mm. is becoming Mm. quite a big thing now in the nhs Mm. and you know we're we're trying to engage our patients in perio and get so we're only engaging patients are going to progress down the treatment path Mm. and it's yeah completely transferable to that Mm. because you you know you're trying
1: to change behavior Mm. i think one of the difficulties for some dentists in our profession is they're actually very good at telling. They're very good at telling and, and sort of teaching. So they tell the patient. Now, that's all very well and good. But if you want to, as you say, change behavior, it's about asking with knowledge. So it's, it's engaging the patient in their own healthcare and their own compliance. And that's difficult to do if you're standing there telling them. So you've really got to be listening to what they are able to do. And that is a real more of a mentoring skill. Um, And so that is one thing I think that we could perhaps alter um, even with our teaching at at dental school is to make it more of a mentoring type teaching than a, a teaching teaching. Um, but the two have to go hand in hand. I mean, clearly, you can't have a, you know, a second year and say, well, how, how would you like to restore this tooth? I mean, that's <laughs> clearly not going to work. Um, but maybe your fifth years, you could be a lot more mentoring than teaching. It's, I don't know. It's a thought.
0: Yeah no I know if you've been on the receiving end of that kind of teaching you are more likely to take those sort of techniques on but as you say mm-hmm. um, be a great thing to do in your later years as a student.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, just I suppose coming back to NCAS really um bit of a Maybe a challenging. It's difficult to say everything, and you know, one question is too big sometimes. But you know, biggest lessons you learned from the role at um, NCAS.
1: Mm, yes, it was a fascinating time, um, and I did really enjoy working at NCAS. Again, you felt like you were making a difference, um, and I think what I what I really learned there was, people, people need to engage and ask for help early. Um, and it's not, it doesn't come naturally to clinicians and, and doctors, dentists, you know, pharmacists, whatever. I don't think asking for help at an early stage is something that, as I say, comes naturally. In fact, quite the reverse. Uh, I think the professions tend to be more heroic. What I mean by that is, you know, we've got to sort this. I can sort this. It's not, a, it's not really a problem. If I ask for help, then people will think I'm weak. Uh, And so what I learned, I guess, there is that asking early can really make a difference and help is at hand. And actually, when you ask, often people are really happy to help, Um, which, again, is sort of this sort of vault face that if I ask a colleague, they'll just judge me. Whereas some might, you know, in all honesty, you know, some might. And when we took on advisors, there were one or two that were just too judgmental and we felt they weren't going to be in the right role. But the high proportion in the profession, I think, want to help others if they possibly can. So what I learned, ask early, help is at hand and will be given. Excellent. That's good. I think that's a good
0: message. Very good message. Can I just maybe come to the sort of, sort of summing up really, or maybe the final question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I read in, in, in your book, and I think you talked about, um, you know, general practice could be like you, uh, uh, like apple pie. And, <laughs> um <laughs> But you might you might want more than apple pie, you might want a bit of something else, and, <laughs> and you might dip into things, which it sounds as though that's been your philosophy throughout your working <laughs> life um and on the basis you're going to be working for a long time, need mm. to enjoy it.
1: Mm. what do you think are the key ingredients to a happy and fulfilling career? Yeah, well, definitely plenty of pie absolutely but um no you're right because I mean with the way that pensions are going and the way that People are generally keeping healthy longer. I think we are going to be working for a longer time. Um, Not everybody. I I thought I might have retired a few years ago. And to be honest, I'm still enjoying it. So what we need to be thinking about is people will chop and change. The the, the old adage of you worked somewhere for 40 years and you got a gold watch and everything was happy has gone. Um, and so we need to be looking at doing different things and mixing stuff up, having this portfolio. Now, that can be within dentistry. Dentistry, I think, has lots of opportunities to do different things and to mix the, the working week, working how many days we do up. And it is it's one of those jobs that if you're in a relatively small room in your surgery with you and your dental nurse and patients coming in all the time, thats can become very stressful, can become very samey. And one of the things I think with the younger dentists is say, look, learn your craft, spend a, a, a few years, maybe three to five years, really learning your craft, really getting the basics under your belt and then branch out Two, three days a week, do something different, whether that is lecturing, whether that's working for an indemnity organization, whether that is mentoring and coaching, whether that is something outside dentistry, which is the other sort of why not mix it up with something outside dentistry, but mix it up, do different things, keep yourself interested and excited with what's going on keep learning keep trying different things sometimes you want to move career completely and I don't think we should we should worry about that you know if somebody decides after 20 years in dentistry they want to retrain in archaeology well fine do that but that will be special to you I think each of our careers you said squig. I love the squiggly I I wish I'd thought of that. I just love it. I think that squiggly type thing is just perfect. And in the 21st century um, skills, who knows what's going to be around in 40 years? When I qualified, we didn't wear gloves. There was no phone, mobile phones. There was no Internet. There was no email. There was no social media. There weren't even veneers when I, I qualified. So, I mean, when you think of all the things that have happened in a sort of a 40 year career, what's going to happen in the next 40 years? It's going to be amazing. You know, gene therapy, replacement stuff, men on the moon, people on Mars, dentistry is going to be about robotics and all sorts of stuff. So it's going to be thrilling. So mix it up, keep doing different things. Great. That sounds good. I
0: know. I think I love it. I would concur with you. I think it's a great career, um, huge opportunities, Mm. much more than there were before. Mm. And yep. So just in summary, I suppose, um, just because we could speak for a while on all this. um, (laughs) But I think some of the things that you've really said is that, you know, if, if you want mentoring there's help out there or if you want help in in any kind of context there's help there you've given a really good explanation of what it is what it can do it can be used in so many different contexts Mm. but at the end of it is a service and Mm. go to someone who has been trained in it I think is a is a Mm -hmm. is a good way to go if you have to pay for it it's like paying for other services um Mm -hmm. and I think you also said, you know, say yes, take
1: opportunities, (laughs) even even though you don't know what you're saying yes to. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Because it'll generally always come in useful at some point. I don't think experience is ever really lost. I I think it just is another little brick that builds your career. Uh, and and I found it's amazing some of the stuff that I've done that at the time I I did Project Two Thousand you know when we had the the, yes. the bug you know and the bug it, and yes that you know, when it was all going to crash and it was all going to be awful. And, and I mean, nothing happened. I missed the millennium festivities because there I was. We all had to go in as Y2K managers just in case everything fell apart. And of course, nothing fell apart. What did I learn? Actually, I learned a lot about contingency planning. So there's there's nothing ever really lost, even if at the time you think, why am I doing this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And often you don't, you think, if I say yes, I don't really have
0: time, but mm-hmm. it's it's something really appealing. I mm-hmm. think you just find time sometimes to yeah. fit those things in and do. So yeah. Yeah. all good. Um, well, so I'd just like to really thank you, Janine, for a really insightful, really interesting um, discussion. And um, in the next episode, we're going to speak with a young dentist about his early career experiences. So, so great. Yeah, so um, please, anyone who listens, please give us some feedback. Let us know what you would like to hear about next. And some of the things we've spoken about will be in the resources um, at the end of the podcast. So thank you very much again, Jenny. Thank you. Let's chat dental with Anne Budenberg talking about dental careers and squiggly careers in the UK. Don't forget to like, rate and review
1: this episode.